Hello, listeners. Mallory Wilsey here, chief producer of the Enrollify Network. So everyone is talking about AI these days, but not enough people are taking the time to unpack how AI will impact the future of higher education. And that's why we launched the Generation AI podcast, co-hosted by Artis Kadu, CEO of Element 451, and JC Bonilla, Chief Data Officer at VaynerMedia. Artis and JC have worked on large language models for nearly two decades and have remarkable technical knowledge around how they work and how generative AI will impact the future of higher ed. Generation AI isn't just about understanding artificial intelligence. It's about being part of the AI revolution in education. Tune in, get informed, and be inspired to innovate in your educational space with the power of artificial intelligence. You can subscribe to the show by visiting podcast.enrollify.org or just search Generation AI wherever you get your podcasts. Hi, I'm a higher ed CMO and I have a confession to make. I sign up for email newsletters all the time and then never once open that newsletter. And I see them sitting in my inbox. A lot of them come on a daily basis or a weekly basis and they just sit there until I hit delete. I don't even bother unsubscribing. I'm a very bad email recipient. However, on the flip side, part of my job is uh, working on email campaigns that don't cause that reaction. And I know Ashley Budd, who's the guest today, is sort of the person who understands uh, email marketing. And I absolutely think that there are a ton of takeaways in this episode that will help you create email campaigns that work and create email campaigns that drive the action that you want to have. So I hope you enjoy this conversation. Confessions of a Higher Ed CMO, the podcast designed for higher education marketers. I'm your host, Jamie Hunt, and I am so excited to have this opportunity to share insights and inspiration. With Confessions of a Higher Ed CMO, I'm designing a different kind of podcasting experience. With each episode, I'll be bringing in a guest for a deep dive into the challenges and joys we all face in higher education marketing. After each episode, you can join the conversation on Twitter by using the hashtag HigherEdCMO. I would love to see this become like a book club, but for a podcast. And be sure to follow me on Twitter at at JamieHuntIMC. That's J-A-I-M-E-H-U-N-T-I-M-C for more opportunities to connect. I am so happy to be here with Ashley Budd, who's the Senior Director of Advancement Marketing at Cornell. Ashley, how are you? I'm so good. I'm here to talk about email. Cool. That's quite a topic. Um, (laughs) Before we jump into that, though, can you tell us a little bit about your higher ed journey? Yeah, I uh, have only known the higher ed journey. I started my career at my alma mater in enrollment, and then about 10 years ago, took another gig at Cornell University, which is where I've been learning the advancement side of things. And the through line has always been something digital. So it's probably why I can nerd out with you on this email topic today. (laughs) 
So in your role, what do you do? I mean, mm-hmm. you, it's a, sounds like a big, vast title, Senior Director of Advancement Marketing, but yes. what does that look like for you? Yes. Uh, I oversee the marketing team, which is part of the Alumni Affairs and Development Division at Cornell. And it's, I would say, an emerging model for advancement communications. And I think it's also, um, you have to kind of put Cornell in the context of being maybe a more advancement-driven university than an enrollment-driven university. So oh, with all of those, all of those contexts kind of in mind, um, my group is really responsible for reaching out primarily to alumni, but also donors who aren't alumni, parents, um, and again, community members that just want to feel connected to the university at large. So it's a really broad audience. Um, and we, in our model, have a responsibility for communicating all of the alumni engagement communications, so your classic reunions and homecomings and those kinds of things to bring people back. And then also all of the broad-based fundraising. And I think this is where we're probably more of an emerging model than a traditional shop um, that would have a separate annual giving team is more mm. traditional. We are, we're talking to the same audience. So we're talking to the broad base about giving and we're actually accountable for that part of the fundraising. So those are gifts under a thousand dollars are part of our domain. And um. Yeah, it's a really nice blend of just being able to think about how do we engage people and how is fundraising part of engagement um, rather than it being separate. And so my group was formed uh, after a merger of taking people who were doing annual giving marketing for the annual fund program. Um, And then uh, the digital team that I was on. So here's my digital through line again. I was um, I was hired as a social media strategist and then had a digital innovation role. And then um, director of digital marketing was my first marketing role. Um, but always on this digital team that existed. And then there was a, yeah, a third um, communications team, which was really more of your traditional alumni um, brand and communications. So those three teams when they merged, most of the people came to me. Um, I sometimes lovingly refer to my group as the factory (laughs) because we're like the muscle, we're the biggest. Um, Mm. And that kind of left um, another vertical, which is strategic communications um, and another one that is um, participation strategy, what would have been a traditional annual giving director kind of role. But that is what I oversee. It's a big old marketing team <laughs> in advancement. So it's pretty neat. That's really cool. Yeah. I have listened to you on other podcasts before. I think, were you on Thought Feeder maybe a year ago? That sounds like something <laughs> I would have done. Yes. <laughs> And I remember, so I'm on the planning committee for the American Marketing Association Higher Ed Symposium. I remember when the proposals came through and we were all talking about them and it was like, oh, Ashley's like the email guru. Like we need 
if we want to have something about email, we need to have Ashley be the person. And I guess my, my first question is, I feel like my entire career in higher ed has been like emails, emails dead or emails is, is going to die. Or it's just like this sort of like print. It's going to die. Yeah. It's going to die. Yeah. It's going to die. Why is it still relevant? Because it has not died. And if anything, I think it's become a more important part of our strategy than in the past, or maybe we're just being more intentional about it. Yeah, I think this is something that I had to ask myself, too. And it is currently the utility, communications utility. And if I put my communication history major hat on, our moment in time through, and it's been pretty well sustained through this digital communication era, that email is the utility. And so we're like, I think, yes, moving away from print where it would be obscene for me to get government notification or anything from a doctor or anything official just through the post mail and not through my email. Right. So email, I think, and like different than texting, but like maybe texting is the next horizon. We have to kind of think about scale and things there. So I think just from a technology standpoint, there's something that has been really sustainable with email that's made it this functional utility. And I think that's a really good lens to look at the channel from because you can understand the reader's mindset if you know that they have to be in there. They have to. Different than social. (laughs) They don't have to be there. And if I think like, if I don't look at my post mail, I can probably get away with that now. Mm-hmm. Right? Like, oh, just yeah. I don't check the mail. No, you right. know, like, that's, that's something catalogs. you can get away with different than like our parents could like you have to check your mail. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. yeah, I was actually thinking about that the other day, like, I probably throw away 95% of the stuff I get in the mail, because it's either a catalog I didn't ask for, you know, a magazine that I know I'm not going to have time to read, some sort of postcard for some business I'm not going to frequent, but I'm in my email like a hundred times a day. I mean, you probably can't even count how many times a day I check my email. It's really bad. Yeah. But, and I'm old enough, unfortunately, to have um, remember starting a career without email. And there's no way you could go back to that. Like, how would you... Yeah. without email. I think about my, like, to paint a picture of my first early career days, it was like my Blackberry Pearl on my <laughs> desk and my desktop computer. And I dressed up for work. <laughs> I had dress clothes that I went to an office <laughs> in and I had time to open Outlook and look at the like 12 emails that I got. <laughs> yes. I read them all. I had like, you know, and then I could do my job. And that is not what's happening right now. And I think um, people love to say email is dead because they really wish it could be. Right. Right. (laughs) When I get back from a meeting, (laughs) there's 50 in my box. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I think I often will start a workshop or a conversation with people about this topic where I get that on the table. And the way um, I do that is just like asking them, like, how do you feel when you think about your inbox what words come to mind and it's like overwhelming time suck the worst like 
you know, expletives. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And that also, too, really important to be in the mindset of the person who has to be in there and it's a terrible place to be. So when we're going to use it as a tool, like I really like to channel that mindset and use it to my advantage. So how, how do you do that? How do you make effective emails? Because there are certainly um, brands that email me that I open pretty much every single email I get from them. Mm -hmm. And there's others where there's probably a hundred, probably literally 10,000 emails from that brand and I've never opened it. Yeah. Yeah. It's an important thing to think about. So many different ways we can think about this. Um, But part of it is the quality of the content and how you can you can build trust with your audience or quickly lose it. And I think that's all tied to the content itself. Part of it, I think like 99% of the the shift that has happened recently is just in how the like words are used in email. If you're not using a conversational tone, like that it's a very jarring thing. So um that I think is just even like separate from content, just talking, calling out how people are reading emails and making sure that you're leveraging that. Um, and then the last piece I think is uh, making sure that you're in the inbox at all. So I think those are the places where I start with teams. Like, are, are you even, do you even have a chance are you just in the junk folder? Because a lot mm-hmm. of places are. If they have really, really low open rates, there's probably because they don't even know that they're there. Um, and then um, the content side is really anticipating what what that person, like what mood are they in? What do they need? What do they need from you? Um, so yeah, I think there's all sorts of ways to tackle that. We can talk about, you know, curating the content what do the subject lines need to be how what's the frequency need to be it's there's a lot of science to it actually and once you know all of those rules um you can kind of start applying them in a more strategic way tell me the rules ashley mm-hmm. <laughs> i want to know mm-hmm. the rules let's just maybe walk through an email and what's the most important let's do that, that you're in perfect. your inbox you hate being there. You're in your inbox. What are you doing? The first thing that you're doing, whether you know this or not, is you're just scanning all of the from names. Mm. The from names are the biggest in the inbox. They're the things that stick out. We, like most people ask me, how do I do a subject line? Like from names are super important. <laughs> so you're skimming the from name. The rule for your from name is that it should be from a person or organization that that the reader has a relationship with. Hmm. So there's, we often have this debate, should it be from Ashley or should it be from Cornell? Right? Right. Should it be from the person or should it be for this? And if you don't know who I am, it should not be from me. Hey all, I hope you're enjoying this episode of Confessions of a Higher Ed CMO. I want to take a moment to thank my friends at MindPower who are making season two of this Involify podcast possible. MindPower is a full-service marketing and branding firm celebrating nearly 30 years of needle-moving, thought-provoking, research-fueled creative and strategy. MindPower is woman-founded and owned, WBENC certified, nationally recognized, and serves the social sector, higher education, healthcare, nonprofits, and more. 
The MindPower team is made up of strategists, storytellers, and experienced creators. From market research to brand campaigns to recruitment to fundraising, the agency exists to empower clients, amplify brands, and help institutions find a strategic way forward. You can learn more about their work in the world by heading on over to MindPower Inc. That's M-I-N-D-P-O-W-E-R-I-N-C.com. And be sure to tell the crew that Jamie sent you their way. Most people do not know who anybody that works at your institution are because they have a relationship with the institution. They mm-hmm. actually don't have a relationship with people. And so probably safe bet for most of your audiences, unless they're your super fans who know everybody. From name, be super clear the relationship. Um, and then the subject line is what's in the email. It's not like a cute marketing tagline. Mm. That's that's your subject line rule. Um, because if you are scanning, again, you're like going through, you will read that subject line and you might not open the email. That And we're just getting more and more email. So I think we have to kind of hack our message delivery now. Yeah. In a way that if I need you to know that there's an open house on December 3rd, it's in the subject line and message received other than can I trick them into opening it and then they don't see it at all. Um, and I think that's where a lot of uh, a lot of teams still kind of get tricked up on what to test. Just put what's in the email um, right in the subject line. And then if you have something really cute that you wanted to use, you can put it in the preheader. Mm. Um, so many times when I'm auditing emails, I'm just flipping those around because they do put the important thing in the preheader, mm-hmm. but not in the subject line. And so just thinking about you're scanning your inbox, the name is standing out. Basically the content of your email is now standing out and then you might be able to put a smile on their face with the preheader. That's if you can, if you can start doing that, your open rates will go up. Mm. Um, and then there, um, there are the same rules that kind of apply inside your email that would apply to really good website user experience. The way mm. that people read a website is the same way that they're skimming your email. And it's in a really clear F pattern. Mm. And um, the rule for setting up those emails is making sure you have enough white space around your call to action so that people can see it really quickly. Um, And I uh, will do like a two second test to see if I open it and close it, do I know what I was supposed to do? Mm. That's how much time we have now. And so sometimes it's disheartening for writers and content creators that um, really all you needed to do was craft the subject line and the button because that's all that's (laughs) going to be comprehended ever. Um, and we spend a lot, a lot of time getting approvals for messages that actually <laughs> don't ever get read. They get skimmed. Right. right. Um, so part of that is you know, like really just knowing those rules to make sure that it, those emails have a chance at all. Um, because we are getting if it feels like you're getting more email than ever you are and that number is going to go up. So it's just going to get noisier and noisier and they're going to make those decisions in those seconds. Um, it's really um, depressing. It's, scary. <laughs> uh, that's like the volume game, right? Like that's yeah. when you're competing with 
am I going to get opened or not? Um, but Jamie, you said that, that you there are emails that you open right. all the time. And yeah. that like we can still <laughs> have a place in email where yeah. it can be super helpful um, and enjoyable. And that's, I think, knowing what people need. Uh, yeah. It's usually they need something helpful in that moment, right? Like that's what's yeah. going to – we're offering them something in exchange. Like if there's a brand that sneaks in little goodies in their emails all the time, those are the ones I'm going to open every time because I don't want to miss any of the goodies, right? Or the coupons or the, the words of wisdom. Um, It's part of the hack too. (laughs) I, I mean, I read every single email I get from Seth O'Dell, like Seth O'Dell, his emails, it's like, um, scanning past the president, scanning past the board chair, going mm-hmm. straight to Seth O'Dell's emails because they're always super helpful. Like you were saying, it's like very, there's a ton of white space. It's not painful to read yeah. through it. It's And it's helpful and useful to me. Usually makes me think, I love that. I also open up, I, I probably get, I think one time I counted like seven emails from Banana Republic Factory in one day, but I open them every day because I'm like, what percentage off is it today? What percentage off is it today? I probably, and I probably buy from Banana Republic Factory twice a month because of those emails. Otherwise, I don't think they'd be top of mind for me. Yeah. But then there's others where I have all these good intentions where I sign up for this email newsletter and and nothing. Just, I've never opened it. But I do also, I always open from my graduate alma mater. Um from the program I graduated from mm-hmm. because I feel like they're judicious about when they send and when they what they do send is of value to me because of that. It's not like every single day I'm getting something from them. It's, you know, maybe a couple times a month and it's always useful. Yeah. I think it being useful is the most important part because if they sent you something useful every single day, you know, right? Like, uh, yeah. I think when I ask people that same question, a lot of times they um, will share that they open recipe, like daily recipe mm. emails. Happy to have that every, that like little bit of inspiration every day. Um, so I think trying, what I try to do from a content curation standpoint is plan a quarter in advance mm. and have the whole team as broad as I can get them together. Um time travel into the future. And so mm-hmm. um, we usually do it the first week of a new quarter for the next quarter. So when we go into January, we'll be thinking about uh, April, May, June, that springtime. Mm-hmm. And I will ask them like, it's spring. What are you doing right now in springtime? And we'll get it all out, right? We'll like download. Okay, we're going to, we have spring cleaning and we're going to want to be outside and we're going to be excited about our garden. And we put like all the life stuff for that quarter on the table. And then we say, okay, how do we insert Cornell into Mm. that part? Like, what can we, like, we can talk about gardens. Hell yeah, we can talk about gardens, right? Like, (laughs) we can talk about, like, Earth Day. Like, we can talk about all these things. And then when they land, they're so relevant that it it feels helpful, right? So it's either we're trying to give information that's useful, something brag-worthy, or um, 
um, or, you know, even tying our asks into something that feels more relevant and timely for that reason. Um, and that really helps with the consistency of the messaging. We know we're getting relevant, you know, it's the right message to the right person, right time. It's all of those, those things that we're trying to get after, but being, um, knowing that we're a very tiny and significant part of any alums everyday life, we have to do it the opposite way, right? We have to um, almost think of ourselves like we're, we're a lifestyle brand that they want us to align with. Mm. We're, we're, we're part of the life that they want to be living. I don't know. That's um, maybe a little bit of a stretch, but I can see especially the traditional four-year institutions who, I don't know, they have like, the alumni have like a little vibe to them that people can coalesce around. Um, I think you can keep using that in their, in their everyday lives later on. I love that. For, for you, I'm assuming you're creating campaigns around both fundraising and engaging mm-hmm. and engendering pride. What did the open rates, what's a good open rate look like for those types of, if you break it down by those types of um, messaging, if, if that's mm-hmm. how you break down what you're distributing? Yeah, um, we love to see open rates over 55%. I think wow. that's really high for our industry, but that's the Cornell benchmark for, for, wow. for both giving and um and engagement. I like, we like to see engagement emails even higher. 67, I think was our average, um, for those engagement emails. Um, and then the click-through rates are also really off the charts, um, for the engagement emails. They're, um, consistently up over 15%. Holy cow. Um, the solicitation emails can be like 5%. Um, and I think a lot of it is actually volume and the frequency and consistency that we have is really high. Mm. So that can be counterintuitive for people. Um, but we break down alumni emails into like smaller bite-sized pieces, I think, compared to our peers. Um, mm. When I do an audit of what people are sending to alumni in a newsletter, it's usually something that I would have sent over eight emails. Like, oh my gosh! Instead of one long, here's all of the news and all of the stories and all of the things we want you to do. And by the way, you can volunteer and you can do this, and we'll send that to you once a month. Like that's kind of the let's send an alumni newsletter. And for me, it would be let's let's send something that's delightful as a newsletter every week, something that they actually want. And then let's also break out all these other calls to action into something that's much more actionable um, because nobody's going to take action from a big long. No. I would, I would not read no. it. Um, there's no way I could get through all of it. So um, I think our volume is, a di- there's a direct correlation between the, the amount that we send and why those open and click through rates are so high. This is my sixth institution. And I think, I feel like a lot of times leadership thinks that 
their alumni are just sitting at the table, like waiting for an email from their alma mater. And they want to read every delightful word that is Mm -mm. in that thing. And I just feel like, but how do you read your emails? Mm -mm. Sir or ma'am, how how are you? (laughs) No, how are you going through your inbox? And it's like, like to your point, they don't even often know who the president is. And that sometimes seems like a shock to people in leadership. And it's like, Mm -mm. but that's not relevant to their lives. No, not at all. (laughs) Yeah, it's tough. I know. And it's very, very true. Um, And yeah, it takes like all of these really good marketing practices for us to teach them and the data behind it too. Um, A lot of times I just go to how much time, like, let's talk about time as a finite resource and which it is and say like here I took all of the copy from this newsletter it would take someone 16 minutes to read this do you think we should be asking them for 16 minutes of their time maybe not how about three minutes how about a minute right and like in bite size maybe 16 minutes over the course of two weeks and we've we spread it out um, so that can be really helpful in those conversations. Um, sometimes there's, you know, it, it's all the same tactics in any kind of marketing situation where a lot of times you just have to like, let it fly, do the frequency right. thing. Um, if you have, if you have the capacity to turn up the volume, do it until you see the unsubscribe rate hit. Mm. Um, because, like we continue to crank up the volume at Cornell and have not seen that peak yet. Wow. Um, Yeah. Yeah. It's if you can, and if you can do it in a way that is, um, I think really thoughtful with the audience, that's, that's the key, making sure that the messages are the ones that they want, uh, making sure that uh, we're really, transparent in our opt-out messaging I think that has that has helped us crank up the volume too where we will um we will say like far above the footer where all of the unsubscribing stuff is there like right in the plain part of the email we will say things like are we too much for your inbox here pause these for six months and give them an option to pause for six or 12 months instead of unsubscribing altogether um or in giving messages saying, is now not a good time for you? No problem. Put these on pause. And with those kinds of messages in there, we don't get the nasty replies for the volume and we don't get the unsubscribe. Like there's very, very 0.04% unsubscribe rate. Hey guys, it's Zach here, founder of Enrollify with some huge, huge news. So I am ecstatic to announce that Element 451, the AI-powered all-in-one CRM platform for higher education, has acquired Enrollify. Back in 2019, I approached Tony Frega, the CEO of DD Agency, with an idea. Tony's a good friend of mine, and so I said, dude, let's build a next-generation media hub for higher ed marketers and admissions professionals. As a lover of media, I was just so impressed by how the attention landscape was changing and how brands like The Skim and The Hustle and Morning Brew began to eat up market share from more traditional publications. And I thought there was an opportunity to build something similar, uh, you know, obviously a lot smaller, but similar in the niche, but oh so important arena of higher education marketing. Tony and the leadership at DD were gracious enough to allow me the time and the space to ideate on this half-baked idea and then launch Enrollify's first ever content asset, which was 
you guessed it, the Enrollify podcast. Since then, Enrollify has grown into one of the most trusted resources for candid higher education marketing content in the industry, and we've welcomed industry giants like Terry Flannery, Jamie Hunt, Allison Tercio, Eddie Francis, Dave Kibbles, and Jeremy Tears, just to name a few, into our network of creators. As we started thinking about the next chapter of Enrollify's life, it became clear that it was time for Enrollify to scale. I'm pretty good at building things, but scaling things is a skill I'm still working on. When thinking about who could take Enrollify to the next level, I felt as if artists, Mallory, and the leadership at Element 451 were uniquely qualified to inherit the brand. Element has actually been a part of Enrollify's story since the very beginning. They were our second podcast sponsor ever. They have invested in almost every experiment that we've ever run. They ship product faster than any other ed tech company I've ever met. And perhaps most importantly, artists and the leadership team invest seriously in thought leadership and education. Building Enrollify has been the most rewarding experience of my professional career to date, and I couldn't be happier to collaborate with the Element team as we seek to take Enrollify to the next level. And don't worry, I'm not going anywhere just yet. You are not through with my lovely voice just yet. Um, but if you found any value in Enrollify over your years of tuning into our content or watching our videos, it would mean a lot if you could share a kind word or two about how Enrollify has helped inspire you or helped teach you something new about marketing on social media. It would really, really, really mean a lot to, to the whole Enrollify and Element team, but to me personally as well. So if you've gotten any value of any of the content that we've ever produced, share a quick story or, or a quick thought about us on social. That would be wonderful. Well, thanks so much for being here, guys, and get ready. We've got so much in store that I can't wait to share with you all soon. But for now, back to the podcast. That's amazing. Yeah. I mean, I can see why everybody's saying Ashley is the email guru. <laughs> When you mentioned making sure that your content is what they want, how do you figure that out? Yeah, um, it's really just being able to anticipate what they need in the moment. So um, Day will talk about uh, enrollment funnels in the same way I'll talk about alumni engagement funnels. But, um, you know, it's practical um persuasion to get them to a point from where uh they are reading our emails and they're in this habit of enjoying what we're putting out there because it's it's the stuff that I said that's relevant to them in their life and then how do we start connecting the dots between the institution and their lives I will think about it as first we have to make like first they need to be there if they're not opening the emails at all, then they're not going to do anything for us. So what are we doing to prove that they should open our emails from us? We have a really fun email that goes out every single Tuesday. Um, that's our kind of like very clickbaity, come get all of the goodies from us every Tuesday email. Very punny. Um, lots of gifts. Like they, like it's just, it's a good email. Solid email. That's the investment. Um and then the next phase is what are we doing to make the connections in their lives, right? And so that's where um, I think alumni content is really fun um, because you can stretch it in a million ways. You can get into family stuff and you can get into career stuff and there's you can have like a really broad set of content to give people that makes them feel invested. Um and then they're just going to be more likely to 
do what you ask them to do for you if they feel like you ha- they have this relationship with you where they understand how they're connected at you know 35 45 55 65 how are they connected to you if you don't have a relationship with them then yeah they're not gonna do the stuff you're asking them to do right so so um that's where I I really like the understanding the science behind the email technology, then you can put all of these good practices that you know that are like classic marketing and communication right. tactics. You can apply them because you already know those things. And once you know how to manipulate the tool, um, then it all starts to click. Yeah. I think those are, that's where more of the sense. secrets are, are in like, does everyone know that your email reputation is reviewed every 30 days? Does everybody know that? Right? Probably, probably not. not. <laughs> and that if you only sent one thing last month, and I worry about like those small departments that are like trying to get out of the junk box, right? If you only sent one thing last month and nobody opened or clicked on it, and you're going back to junk. <laughs> like you're going to have to somehow oh. pull yourself out to prove to Gmail and these like giant um, email service providers who are marking your reputation that your email that's worth getting through to the inbox. And I think a lot of, a lot of schools get stuck in junk and have to like, aren't doing what they need to do to get out. And that's only going to be exacerbated with more email, more sophisticated filtering tools in our email. Um, So we really need to understand how, how we get in front of people at all first and, um, and then how to hook them with good stuff. Do you do much segmentation and and like dividing your audience up and delivering different types of content based on age or degree or whatever? No, not really. Um, <laughs> and it's great think, to hear, to be honest. I really, yeah, I think um, this works with no CRM. You wow. can do this with no CRM. <laughs> that was, that was going to be one of my questions is what's your CRM? Wow. This, this I mean, I think the approach is... Um, it's a difference between you need to be personal, but it doesn't need to be personalized. You need mm-hmm. to have the, com- this is the conversational voice thing. You need to sound personal. You need to talk to people authentically with empathy. You need to give them logical steps. That's the thing that's going to make it feel relevant to them. It's not hyper-personalization. That's like a icing on the cake. Um, that's when you get even crazier conversion rates, but it's not anything dynamic that we're doing. It's not, it's <laughs> just, um, you know, when in doubt, if you don't, if you feel like you can't talk to all the audiences the same, just strike a friendly tone. Don't use jargon, you know, like all these simple plain language things, be friendly and every, you know, and I think all audiences can line up behind that. Um, and then if I do segment, I'm usually thinking about adding more emails to audiences with higher tolerance for email pain. Mm. (laughs) And those are usually more engaged people. So like farther down your funnel, like closer to us, more likely to convert people. Um, I'll think about it kind of on a scale of how much they're engaged versus, anything really behavioral um yeah outside or like outside of that it's not very it's not very sophisticated in the 
in the um, segmentation front because so much of this is just like foundational. So I want listeners to think about that because I think that I was certainly thinking Cornell must have this really sophisticated CRM that's allowing Ashley to slice and dice the audience and there's no way an institution without deep pockets will be able to accomplish what what Ashley is accomplishing for Cornell. But what I'm hearing is that it's just good old fashioned marketing. Like you're, you're it is volume. I do like have to say where I don't have the tech stack, I probably have more bodies. So um, that that, because you have to generate that content, right? Like, yeah, yeah, we have to generate the content. And we know that we know that the frequency and consistency of what we're doing where people know that they're just going to get a short little snippet and it's going to be quality and they can open it and feel good about the messages that we're sending. Um, we know that that's what's really been driving the results that we we streamlined in a lot of ways some of the wild, wild west of communication that was happening. Um, but it is a an email to our whole constituency every Tuesday and Thursday Pl- wow. plus anything that then that's just that's just to stay in touch right like that's not any of the other programs or things that are going on on top of it so Cornell alumni get a lot of email <laughs> um and yes some of them think it's too much but we are I think as transparent as possible with them about if we're if we're really being overly aggressive if we're too much for your inbox you can put us on pause like here's some ways to kind of dial it back um, but those two are not very sophisticated they're like a, a custom form and we will put a f- six month block on people and then we'll drop them back in six months later that's amazing I'm I really want to send this to my undergraduate and graduate alma maters and be like can you try this? Because I feel like all I get is this big giant blocks of text about once a month from my undergraduate alma mater anyway. And it's, there's no breathing room in it. And the typeface is like 10 point. And I'm, I don't, I don't even skim it to be honest with you. I open it because I'm, you know, I work in higher ed marketing. I feel like I need to I open it and I'm like, this is a lot. It's a lot. It's a lot. lot. And I, I think about that as one of the empathy points right we don't have we don't have that much of anybody's time yeah and so if I can tell you everything you need to know in the subject line great and you're going to feel better about me (laughs) for giving you the message that you needed to know instead of kind of taking you on a journey to figure out whether or not you should open and whether that email is going to be relevant to you or not yeah sometimes marketers we 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 put ourselves in this hole by like playing around with email a lot and having the time and space to be really creative with it. But for from what I have found here, and I think it's true in other pockets of the university setting, um, is that we had to create we had to create new things, like new ways of engaging with people, um, new programs for alumni to fill this need. That is super interesting. Did you find that it became more important during the pandemic or has it always been at this level of importance for you and your organization? 
at the top of the podcast, we talked about that merger that happened. That merger happened in January of 2020. Oh my gosh. So we thought we were going to have all this time to figure out what we were doing. And we kind of crash landed in, well, none of those traditional programs are going to be happening. So what can we do online? Um, and that's where we learned that we wanted, we knew we wanted to lean into communicating because we weren't going to be able to really do anything else. Um, and that's where we learned every newsletter that we sent out, the, t- the top click every single week was whatever our digital download was. And it was, you know, Zoom backgrounds or, you know, the um, Cornell themed how to wash your hands printable or, you know, like all that's of the awesome. things that we were just like kind of making up to be relevant and timely and helpful. Um, game, we got into producing online games and we've kind of brought those back every winter as people kind of go into hibernation mode. So lots of puzzles. Um, we produced our own version of Wordle. We made it Cornerdle <laughs> with, oh, um, Cornell words to try to solve. Um, but the Cornell alumni website has all of the stuff, all of the downloads are available there to browse. Um, we get a lot of inspiration from Etsy artists who are selling printables and things, and we'll kind of take our own spin on what's popular and put it in our emails. And it feels like a little gift to a lot of people. Yeah. Yeah. I think if you had like a Sudoku that was in everyone, my mom would probably like register for classes at Cornell just to get, but she's probably someone who would open an email every single day with Sudoku, yeah. Sudoku in it. There's got to be some things that we can not, it doesn't have to be 365 emails in a year, but we can probably ship a lot of really relevant stuff that will help the other emails perform better. I love it. So when you talk about performance, that kind of segues nicely into how are you measuring the success? What KPIs are you tracking to say, yeah, what we're doing is working or or not working? Yeah, first thing I'm going to look at is click-through rate. uh, And email service providers will typically give you two different rates. Um, A click rate based on the whole entire audience. So that would be inclusive of people who didn't even open it. So of course they're not clicking. And then the click to open rate um, is that more narrow group who did open the thing up and then they decided to click through. So I'm looking at those um, to see if they're within our standard and um, if there's anything too low, um, then I'm asking why. And usually if, if it's low on my, my fear is that we're in the junk box. I think that's mm-hmm. the fear, right? So if something drops unexpectedly, if there's a drop in behavior, I'm thinking that it's a drop in deliverability, not necessarily anything that we did. Um, because metrics do stay pretty, pretty, like pretty stable. Um, unless you, you know, um, unless you send an oops email and like that spikes <laughs> or like, unless you do something that, um, um, that is out of the ordinary, um, those should stay pretty consistent. So I'm looking probably first and foremost at the click-through rate. Um, if I see our unsubscribe rate go anywhere near half a percent, I want to know why. Um, open rates really just matter like benchmarking against ourselves again, just for deliverability to make sure Mm -hmm. that there isn't something funky going on there. 
Um, and we have used tactics with like text messaging. If we see deliverability falling off, we'll go after a target group to say like, did you get this email? Here's the link. We're going to send it through to you through a text um, just to make sure. And sometimes that's been a good real time kind of feedback loop to see if that's what's going on. What do you do if you are having a deliverability issue? It's not good. Yeah, You have to dig back. Like you have to um, just make sure that you grind it out until the next review. And um, if you had something really important and people weren't getting it, I would almost, I would almost like push to social, like push to some of my peer groups to try to get people mobilized. If you could get 30 or 40 people to move that email out of junk, it might do something for you. Oh, wow. um, you also don't want it to send something. And I would also be asking myself, did we send something that knocked us down into mm. like, did we send something that got a, like five or six spam flags? You know, mm. like there are things that could happen um, where we can start to identify how the audience is behaving. And um, a lot of times they're, <laughs> they're marking stuff as spam just by the subject line. Wow. Um, and that's, Again, maybe a reason to just be like much more direct than the cute, <laughs> which right. I love the cute stuff, bit. but like put it in the preheader. <laughs> yeah. Do you put emojis and stuff in, in subject lines? I think where it helps with tone, yes. Or with it, um, if it like adds clarity, yes. But it doesn't have to be all the time. Yeah. Yeah. So you do a lot of consulting in uh, on email marketing what is your approach when you have a client come to you do you start with an audit or how do you tackle kind of helping somebody work through a email situation yeah I usually start with some kind of presentation or workshop to get everything that I know out on the table and into their brains (laughs) Um, because I find it hard to give feedback on something without them knowing all of the things that I know so usually the best place to start is just um as much time as I can get with them from is do we only have 45 minutes but we can get 60 people in a room or can we do three hours on site and really like workshop this um and then from there I think most people just want want immediate feedback on stuff that they're curious about so a sample set of emails And what would I do to these? Um, And I think then it's really showing some of the stuff that I would have presented in practice. And that is teaching people how to do it themselves rather than having to rely on a consultant's secret sauce that she's not telling them why. (laughs) Um, Why she's doing the things she's doing. So that's usually the approach. Um, uh, Audits have been really interesting to me for... um, like from like a balance perspective, um, are we doing enough making the connection with people? Are we doing enough awareness raising? Are we doing enough like stewardship or are 80% of what we're sending to people asks, um, we're asking them to do X, Y, or Z and we're not doing the other work. And I think just being able to show where it might be off balanced and how to fill in, like, what would it, what would two or three more awareness raising emails even look like? Mm. Um, how do we do storytelling through email? How do we thank people? How do we report back to them through email? And like, what are these other things that aren't just call to action messages? Um, so I like doing that in the audit side. 
And you and Day are working on a book. Is that, yes. am I right in that? Yes, we are. Can you tell me a little bit about that? Yeah. Uh, so there's a whole bunch of stuff that uh, I've been presenting on and Day has been presenting on um, probably the last two or three years. We've been kind of consistently called on to talk about email and she is a super tactical person. She was the person that would like write down all of these rules and tell you exactly what to do. Um, and I approach things with um, a lot of science, um, like evidence-based. So she will say, this is the tactic and I can back that up with science <laughs> and why good. it would work. And so um, I bring the evidence to it. And um, so we're a really, really good pair to work on this book project. Um, we've put together a workshop with the same content, um, but the book just has so much more detail and, um, we're working with a publisher now. It will come out in 2024. Timeline is still a little TBD, but, um, we're super, super excited to make it a thing. And I think it's, um, uh, definitely has higher ed at its core, but it's for anybody who just wants to make sure that their email is going to get read um, or maybe is looking for a leg up in the marketing space to know how to how to really leverage this channel. Well, I'll be first in line because I think that this is going to be um, just so great for us across not just alumni and advancement, but also I, these same rules, I'm sure, apply to apply reaching out to prospective students and parents and all of that. Our favorite office to pick on is IT. Like, <laughs> do you want us to update our dual, dual authentication? Like just put it in the subject line. <laughs> I don't need, I don't need to read six minutes of why. Right. And then it's always like super, super technical where you're trying to like, what, what am I yeah. supposed to do? Just yeah. tell me what do I yeah. need to do. Right. Yeah. Right. So yeah, we think email is really terrible right now. <laughs> we want to make it better. Um, the working title is better email for that reason. Nice. Um, yeah. So hopefully it's super practical and a fun read. I love it. Mm -hmm. Well, if anybody wants to get in touch with you to talk about email or potentially bring you to their campus to, to help them, um, change their emails be better at emails where can they find you yeah you can find everything about the email book at emailbook.co nice and uh, you can find me at ashleybud.com with my other stuff there well ashley thank you so much for coming on the show i think this was hopefully really really helpful i'm gonna send it to the people who work in alumni relations at my alma maters as well as the institution for which i work because i feel like we just have to get better at email. And if we don't, it's what's the point? What's the point of all the energy that we're spending putting all of this together? I know my team spends a ton of time putting together um, emails. And it's depressing when you look at like low open rates or low click-through rates or whatever. And I think that there's something to be said. I really loved what you were saying about, you know, having smaller, more digestible things more often as being you know, a really good solution because no, nobody's going to read the 12 stories that we're sending once a month. It's yeah. just not going to happen. And the content creators are already doing the work. They're yeah. already written. We just need to break them up. We need to schedule and that doesn't take much time, right? We just yeah. need to break it up, schedule it out. Um, 
So I found that that workflow is actually, if, you, if you're already doing a lot of content in one big long email, um, you can get to more efficient really, really quick. I love it. Mm-hmm. I love it. Thank you. And listeners, if you want to find me, you can find me on LinkedIn, Jamie Hunt, J-A-I-M-E. I'm also on TikTok now at the higher ed CMO and um, I'm playing around with a YouTube channel. So stay tuned for more on that. But in the meantime, let's go bust some silos, email filled silos. Let's bust those up. Hey y'all, Zach here from Enrollify. I hope you enjoyed this episode of Confessions of a Higher Ed CMO with Jamie Hunt. If you like this episode, do us a huge favor and hit that follow and subscribe button below. Furthermore, if you've got just two minutes to spare, we would greatly appreciate you leaving a rating and a review of this show on Apple Podcasts. Our podcast network is growing by the month. We've got a plethora of marketing, admissions, and higher ed technology shows that are jam-packed with stories, ideas, and frameworks that are all designed to empower you to become a better higher ed professional. But Enrollify is far more than just a podcast network. Enrollify is where higher ed comes to learn new marketing skills, discover new products and services, and find their next job. We're a growing learning community of 4,000 members, and we'd love to welcome you into the fold. You can access our free blog articles, newsletters, e-courses, and more, or purchase our master course on how to market a university with Terry Flannery at enrollify.org. We look forward to meeting you soon and welcoming you into the community. Again, you can subscribe for free at enrollify.org.